Restart radio show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance FM 104.4. This is a really different show because unlike most, we don't focus on the new shiny, shiny things you should be buying in this holiday season. Instead, we're going to focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London, which we call Restart Parties, are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter from The Restart Project, and I'm joined by Ugo Valaudi, my partner in crime and co-founder. Hello. And we have a special uh, getting towards the end of the year uh, episode for today. We're going to talk about um, the top five good news stories as we see it from the world of tech and repairing. There's more than just the doom and gloom. Yeah, yeah. Although for every yay, there's probably a boo. <laughs> so Always. we're warning you. Um, and But before we get started on that, we're going to talk about a couple of, as we usually do, a couple of things we learned at our restart parties. Um, we had recently a restart party in a church in Tulsa Hill, right, Ugo? Yes, and it was an incredibly busy event. Uh, we had to turn people away at one point, including a guy who brought very hopeful his turntable, but unfortunately had to leave because there just was too much to do and we couldn't handle it all. Yeah, there were a number of turntables. There was the usual, uh, you know, gigantic laptop table. Um, Which I was very active at for once. Um, And I, when I host those kind of events, I was the kind of host or the maitre d'. Sometimes there are moments of fluster or overwhelmedness, but that's always, that's just part of the spirit of the events. And we managed, we saw most, I mean, most everybody, you said one person got turned away, but we saw loads of people and we had some pretty good fixing mojo, I would say. Yeah, the vast majority, I think uh, we reached probably at least 75% of happy, smiley faces as we put them on our uh, list of repairs. So, um, Ugo, you were going to tell us about one of the happy ones, and then you're also going to tell us a cautionary tale of a fix you attempted at home. Yes. Um, so, I was manning or managing the laptop repair table, and it was a table with three women with three different laptops they were very convinced they wanted to fix, and we did improve all of them. But the fix that I like best in that table had to do with someone who brought a laptop with a cracked screen. And she had visited us before um, and managed to improve the speed of the laptop. But she's really, really determined to improve a laptop that most people would have probably thrown away or sent away for recycling. So we were very pleased to discover that this particular model of Dell, uh, for the record, a Vostro 3300, actually, it's not too bad when it comes to taking it apart to change the LCD screen. And in the past, we had some really bad experience with touchscreen uh, enabled laptops, which were really, really fiddly to repair and took hours to completely disassemble them until you get to the glass. In this case, instead, it was a matter of taking the bezel around the screen out very carefully, but not too fiddly, and then remove... What's the bezel for for the average person here? This is a word that I didn't know of until I started reading obsessively about technology. The bezel is the border of the screen, normally the bit which is made of plastic or other materials that protects in part the screen when you close the laptop. And um, so we only had to remove 
four or five screws, Phillips screws, so the most standardized screws that every screwdriver um, set would have, and then disconnect carefully, but not too difficult, not too mm. carefully, a connector and remove the panel just like you would expect. So while we often worry about repairability of products, actually, it's down to learning a little bit better what happens in case you have to replace a part. So while we often obsess about finding the best deal and checking all the website and finding where you can save an extra pound, maybe we should also consider spending an extra five minutes reading the repairability guides and seeing yeah. why and whether a well, model is easier to disassemble or not. And I would say, especially if you have maybe a toddler or you have uh, in, in the house or a pet or or you just um, or had it experience smashing screens um, and or and I guess the same would be for keyboards right I mean looking at um, if you're a spiller <laughs> then yes. maybe you should be looking at that when you purchase a new laptop absolutely and yeah there are bad surprises as well as good surprises every now and again and actually that was the good story <laughs> and I'll now share a cautionary tale of personal experience this is not something that I could possibly attempt at a restart party, but someone donated to us recently a keyboard which had a few, annoyingly, a few keys no longer okay, working. Okay, let's also say this keyboard is made by a manufacturer that's known, okay, for its beautiful products, but not necessarily being repairable. Particularly <laughs> more recent iterations of their external USB keyboards have become less and less not even repairable, openable, I would say. Yeah, so, so Apple has, the, you know, the quite beautiful in the sense. In, in fact, I have a 15-year-old Apple keyboard, um, but they're getting less and less um, repaired. This one has a, if we we looked, I believe we did look at the disassembly, uh, and it, it's like, it's it's a spot welded in 143 places. Or something like that. So it means that actually it's impossible, impossible to, to open, open it and yeah. then put it back together, particularly. So while it's probably the best keyboard on the market for most people in terms of like ergonomics how nice or it is to, yeah. <laughs> to look or just even to type on, which is quite a relevant thing. But um, so someone went a great length and published uh, on a blog how you would potentially disassemble it and repair it, but it was just not possible to put it back together. However, a different suggestion came up. Um, the dishwasher. The dishwasher trick. And I did attempt it. So... According to WikiHow and other sources, there is a way that you can fix keyboards that have some keys no longer working. And you put the keyboard in a dishwasher, making sure to protect very, very carefully the actual USB plug that you use to connect it to a computer and run any cycle. Uh, you can run the eco cycle without soap. without soap and possibly without other things in the dishwasher and then let it dry extensively for days and days um, to make sure that all moisture that might still be there might be Yeah, this gone. is one of those things where it's like, is that an urban legend? Is that for real? Like, in fact, it reminded me of the, did you see this headline uh, last week about the life hack cheese toasty? I sure have. Yeah, this person who saw some dumb thing on YouTube about how you can put a slice of toast, you put your, your toaster sideways 
to and save then some put time. a piece of toast with cheese on top. And she basically ended up almost burning her house down. And this she was, burned the whole kitchen yeah. down, basically. So not to say that your attempt is the same as the life hack cheese toasty nearly burned the house down, but... The, the worst that could have happened was... <laughs> Um, that the keyboard would no longer work. And guess what? Exactly that happened. Um, I am now with a keyboard that has no functioning keyboards. Although, sadly, when you connect it to the laptop, it still makes the funny ding. It does recognize <laughs> just it's rev something. It in, just to rub it in. But okay. to be fair, if too many keys were just simply not working. and it, it was too frustrating to use. So I think that will nicely go to a recycling center. Oh, that's frustrating. Okay, and we're going to now start. Um, uh, we're going to move on to some good news after that uh, failed uh, dishwasher life hack. Um, so we picked out five um, what we're calling stories, but these are just things that we've essentially followed over the past year and things that we think, um, well, that, that are representative of some trends and some things that we should keep watching. As I said, um, there's a bit. Of, we're going to start with the yay, but there's probably always a bit of a boo attached to each one. So do you want to kick us off, Ugo, with the uh, with our number? Number five uh, good news item for the year. Starting at number five. So Apple is actually quietly investing in mobile repair and reuse. Yay. So that's great because we know how complex uh, the repair of all iPhones and the likes has been for years. We know that they've invested in improving the repairability, although quietly, never really making it quite a point for their sales. Even waterproofing, right? There's some rumors that they're trying to waterproof things. and yeah, and, they, yeah. they sure have improved that, but yeah. never interesting enough, never really claimed that their devices are waterproof, probably to prevent anyone complaining yeah. from that. And also one thing we've always noticed is that um, of all the things that Apple sells, they re they sell refurbished almost everything, except they've never sold refurbished mobiles. And interesting. There, and there's been legends that they actually owned some secret eBay channel where they were selling refurbished iPhones, but we never really found any proof of that. So, and the other evidence that they're investing in repair, besides that we see that they're becoming more repairable, is that they're actually, well, many of you know, they're finally offering um, screen repair uh, in store. Um, but it se this seems to be, uh, the screen repair, obviously there's a business model there and they can make money off of it. But we also we suspect that this move towards repair is to um, is to sell on refurbished iPhones in secondary and tertiary markets, right? So how this works is twofold. On the one hand, obviously you can get a device repaired if the screen is gone in store, uh, as long as you can get an appointment for it, which is incredibly hard apparently. Um, but then for more complex repairs, they still tend to get the device and give you a replacement one, often it's a refurbished device anyway, um, and then they keep the device claiming often um, that they might not really be able to repair it. But actually, we have heard that they're starting to sell a lot more refurbished devices in other markets, in places where a brand new iPhone will be too expensive for most people. And we, we read that in Russia, this was the case after the... Uh, Ruble um, actually yeah. went too low in value, and and okay, that so so okay, so we can press pause and we say, okay, that's really interesting. So that's a good thing, right? So that uh, it, uh, one of the largest manufacturers is seems to be investing in repair and reselling, um, but there's always a boo to the. So what's the boo in this case? There I would are, say there's two of them, even. Yeah. 
So on the one hand, of course, there's been all this push towards uh, more resource efficiency and circular economy ethos yeah. and or ideology in a way. And, and this represents the closing of a loop in a sense. This, you know, this so it goes. The device goes back to the manufacturer, which recreates new value out of it by maintaining it or maybe changing the external casing or whatever is needed. However, at the same time, Apple itself is trying to increase the speed of adoption of brand new devices in the primary markets, the primary so, markets yeah. uh, trying to sell um, a refresh uh, rate of a 12 months in some cases, meaning when you buy a new device, you're prompted for spending a little bit more and being able to ex- swap it for a new device after only 12 months. So while we have always been pushed to upgrade those of us on contracts every other year, now there is a push yeah. by manufacturers like Apple, as well as by some of the mobile operators, mobile network um to push it to upgrade every year. So the consequence is in the sense that, well, we can close the circle if we accelerate um, global manufacture, um, and we've talked about this heaps, uh, we have problems in terms of the resources that go into manufacture. So the energy, the water used, and other things. So closing the loop and, and, and actually probably expanding the loop to new markets, if we, if we, if we accelerate uh, manufacture, we still have an issue. What is the other issue with, with, with Apple's strategy here, Ugo? The other issue is we're noticing uh, on surface that the actual price that they offer for repairs is lower than most uh, independent repair shops can offer. And we've heard from repair um, shops that actually the problem is the scarcity of spare parts, quality spare parts coming from China at this point. And one of them went uh, ahead to speculate that actually Apple is trying to mm. reduce the supply, availability of supply of spare parts uh, to independent repair shops. Yeah, and that could be that could be a massive problem um, in, in well coming up, and we'll we'll keep an eye on that for next year. So um, yay that Apple is investing in mobile repair and and potentially um, getting other manufacturers to think about closing the loop. However, there are always some caveats. Um, the next uh, uh, piece of good news, according to us. Um, we'd been following the EC's um, attempt to to push the circular economy. And the EC, um, it's a long story, but there was an initiative early last year to promote a uh, circular economy package, it's called. And um, honestly, I can't explain to you the way Europe works. But um, politically, that it seemed that that, uh, that package had to be frozen. And um, and it was they the excuse was in early last year or this year was that it needed to be more ambitious and needed to be ramped up and made more ambitious. Many of us were questioning um, the the package did come out um, uh, it was last week with much fanfare. I think people who are interested more in in resource efficiency uh, well in recycling uh, in, in the closing the loop may have been disappointed, but we well, our expectations were already abysmally low, <laughs> so we were quite um, pleased when we when we when we found that the eco design directive uh, will probably be broadened. So, we've talked a little bit about this eco efficiency ratings um, when yeah. we talked about the Volkswagening <laughs> in oh. electronics. So, is it that? Um, Manufacturers have been cheating on the energy efficiency uh, tests 
but there, in our in our one of our main critiques was that okay for screens and heating and cooling devices yes energy efficiency is a big deal but for most of the con- little consumer electronics like your laptop your mobile your uh, your iPod or whatever your phone um, we're more concerned with uh, resource efficiency over the full life cycle of the device because most of the energy and resources that the device will ever consume in its entire life uh, occur in China, more or less, in manufacture. So just to explain what, what this really means for um, all of us, if you have a fridge, obviously the fridge needs a lot of energy to keep itself in operation and keep your food and drinks cool. Now, if you have a laptop, it does use a certain amount of energy to run, but that doesn't really compare to the vast amount of energy and resources that are used during the moment right. where it's manufactured. So the good news about the Eco Design Directive being broadened to look at resource efficiency over the full life cycle of devices is that, yes, that we can start to expect that more attention is paid to longevity. In other words, um, looking at how long will a device last um, and looking at, well, the the amount of resources used over its full life cycle from manufacture to use. That also connects mm-hmm. with how in the past we've criticized how economists such as the United Kingdom have actually claimed that their uh, use of resources and the carbon footprint of the country as a whole has started to decline. Mm. But actually, that wasn't taken in consideration all the emissions of all the products that the country is importing because those are actually happening offshore in China and wherever else. And so if we start looking at the bigger picture, we see that our connection with um, energy efficiency is actually quite different. So just in terms of um, we're no experts in how Europe works and we're still trying to digest ourselves but we did see one of the announcements was a, a concrete action that will be taken for example under this will be that the EC will start to focus on displays and safer disassembly for displays so screens, televisions um, and disassembly for reuse and recycling So and also manuals and information that helps that helps us and helps repairs do so. So this is really, really good news. And this has been one of the things that people, um, other people in this sector have been campaigning for. Um, Obviously, as we said, this is just one part of what they're calling the circular economy package. So if you're interested in this, um, go and learn more. There's much more to to dig into. Um, The next good news story that we thought we'd talk about is that and this is something that's actually quite quite interesting in terms of the way it's been portrayed in the media. The next story is that we are actually exporting less toxic e-waste than was thought prior. So maybe you've seen some of the quite alarming photo essays about the disposal, dismantling of some of our computers, our electronics in a dump in Accra in Ghana. There's been loads of media attention to that. And whenever people talk about recycling their electronics, they're likely to say, and by the way, have you seen where it ends anyway? And actually that makes people doubt about whether they should recycle. There are some really horrifying photos of, you know, of young people um, disassembling uh, different kinds of electronics and electricals. Although um, uh, our friend journalist Adam Minter has done a great job of questioning, um, you know, how how much is actually there in that dump site in Accra. And interestingly, the um, the the research that just came out um, 
about this was was done by a, a project paid for by the EU called Countering We, so We meaning uh, e-waste, illegal trade. So, and this is with the participation of people like Interpol and other law enforcement agencies. And what they found, when you dig into the report, is that um, only an estimated four percent of e-waste is illegally exported. Now, that's clearly a problem, and it's clearly a problem if you know if under if underage. Um, People in in Ghana are disassembling and putting themselves at risk. That's a whole other issue. But um, instead of turning it into this kind of this uh, story about this really difficult and tragic story about that there, we need to be focusing on the the 96%. There you go. And so it turns out that a third of the electronic waste um, just literally goes to landfill in Europe. And and, and that's probably the case here in the UK as well. In fact, it could be worse here. It could be worse. And Mm -hmm. we also have heard over time that actually in some parts of the country, you don't have any reuse and repair facility for things that people take to a recycling center and uh, they, they're not, yeah. there isn't any option so, for reuse. I mean, again, it's a yay boo thing. So on one hand, it's yay. Um, we're not do, we're not uh, exporting as much toxic uh, waste as we thought. But, and, uh, but, and, and the yay is also that, that there's something we can do about it, that it's within our, it's fully within our control. It's stuff that we can do here. Um, and there are resources that are going to waste here that we can simply um, put to work here. Um, the next one, the next uh, good news story is slightly more well how can we say classic geek tech reporting and uh, and yet it's quite exciting okay. also from a consumer perspective uh, so you've heard us before talking positively about the Dutch social enterprise Fairphone um which has recently in September announced their new uh, phone uh, the Fairphone 2 with a focus on repairability of the device and they have been working for years uh, campaigning on the importance of transparency in the whole uh, supply chain for smartphones from where do the rare earth uh, materials come from to extending the life cycle of products and exposing the life cycle analysis of these devices but um, they just released this new device, which we had the opportunity to take apart um, at an event at the end of September. And we were really impressed um, with how the device is made and how easily anyone can take it apart to, for example, exchange a broken screen again. And it's really game changing exactly because you don't even need a screwdriver if you break the um, screen, you can just swap it by ordering a spare part uh, from their website and unlocking two springs and sliding the old screen and flipping the new one on. And there you go. Wow. Yeah. And, and the other thing I think is quite game changing about it. I mean, I know that we've also said that the price of spare parts seems uh, reasonable in the case, which is exciting. And also, um, but I think it's more it's more than that. It's more than just this is more than just a manufacturer. This is a community this is a community-based project, a very values-based project, and I think they really have listened to the people that have been their champions and brought them into the process. We remember having actually taken apart mm-hmm. their very first device and noticing how a couple of things didn't seem 
uh, write about um, the placement of certain ports which could break, etc. And they've actually acted exactly on this very feedback and taking on board comments from us as well as other people. Yeah, I think that I think they're really leading by example in that too. Not just the kind of not just from the very technical design aspects. And there's something else about it, which is that there's been a lot of fanfare about producing modular devices everywhere. And actually, it turns out that they never used that term, but they actually went ahead and did yeah, it. Well, absolutely. much larger corporations and Google is just one. They've just one. been faffing around. Have well, been, not faffing, I, to be fair. But they've been they've been put, putting out these really interesting teaser and prototypes. And then postponing by yeah. certainly at least a year. And well, that product does exist and people can buy it already. So well done to a small organization for leading. All right. And you're listening to Restart Radio on 104.4 FM Resonance. Um, that brings us to our number one good news story of the year. And we're going to be a bit cheesy here, so go for it. We sure are. And we're excited about it. Um, so, Ugo. So for the number one story of the year, we actually look at something that happened in our wider extended community. Um, And it's about how a school, uh, or in the future more than just one school, actually decided to take the Restart Party concept and turn it around to make it meaningful uh, across its student and staff population. This happened in the United States, Janet. Yeah, so um, we, there's some really interesting um, educators in a school in the Bronx who uh, essentially just went for it and hosted, it was an after-school restart party on Earth Day, I believe. One-hour event where they somehow managed to take apart and fix 34 out of 36 Chromebooks in one hour. I still don't understand how that is possible. <laughs> Only with the uh, crazy American work ethic, I suppose. Um, but they, they created a kind of an assembly line, like a peer-to-peer teaching method, which is really cool. And that inspired them. So after they repaired the decommissioned Chromebooks and gave them away to students, they thought, wait a minute, okay, how can this be embedded into the practice of the school? Um, so they're essentially, what they're doing is they're setting up... Um, Uh, what's a hybrid between the um, technician section, the IT technicians, and a school club where where student volunteers and techs uh, pop up together and help students uh, fix their own devices um, on on the school property. So I think in the uh, canteen and potentially other places after school. Um, So that's they're still learning from that and we'll be learning from that and sharing that back out through our community. We're also talking to a couple of schools in London who probably don't have necessarily the amount of resources. This is It should be said, this is we, a private school in New York. Yeah, and we've heard from technicians working in schools in the UK how much pressure they have to actually keep their equipment in operation because they just don't have the time. At times they have to get a new device going because there isn't enough time to repair. So One of the things, you know, one, and one of the things we always say is that... Um, you know, there's, there is a lot of emphasis on coding, teaching coding, learning coding. Um, there's a lot of renewed interest in, like, in physical computing, so looking at how to use microcontrollers and other interesting new toys. But our, our question is, okay, um, is, it, uh, is it enough just to, to learn new toys? Is, is it, shouldn't we be teaching kind of the fundamentals of, of troubleshooting, hacking, fixing? 
Um, and I think there's a lot of scope for that, whether or not through the curricula. So we're looking at, you know, and there are a lot of really inspirational after-school initiatives. So we've met uh, Luz from DIY Girls in L.A., which is an amazing project. She's working with young women to teach them yeah, how to make and hack and hopefully to fix. So that's one to watch in the new year, um, our work with educators and how we can kind of embed um, hacking and repairing more um, in schools and, and education. Um, that clo- that closes off our top five uh, good news stories of the year. Um, we have we still have a couple of restart parties this year, Hugo. Yes, one is happening this Saturday in Harrow in a library, yes. and then there will be one final event for the year next week on Tuesday at the Kentish Town Community Centre. So watch and, out for those. Uh, yeah, and in the new year, we've we've already got a couple of dates for women's skill shares, and we'll continue our skill share series for Restart volunteers. We encourage you to get involved. You can find more information on our website at therestartproject.org. Uh, we're on Twitter at The Restart Project and Facebook, the same. Uh, we're here every Tuesday at uh, 1.30 p.m., and we'll see you, hear you, talk to you next week. Bye.